Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week and we are here to discuss all the latest and greatest as we return to domestic club football. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. Joining me is the Rank God, Mr Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. No transfers. No I'm very happy, no transfers. I? Yeah, I mean, look, this is it. You've uh, you've, you've had your <laughs> mad period. De- until December. God till December. It's uh, wake me up when December ends for Dean yeah. Jones now at, at this point until we get back. Um, but as usual, boys, we should start with things we love. Dean, there hasn't been any transfers, but there almost certainly has been something you've enjoyed this weekend in football. Ronaldo's return. Ronaldo's return. This was utterly ridiculous like this got well out of hand one of my best mates um ryan big fan of the pod he listens every week hello ryan Ryan. um he went to old trafford and he loves ronaldo loves man united going his whole life etc etc um came back i was like oh mate it must have been amazing yeah it was a bit over the top (laughs) like it was a bit much everyone had a ronaldo shirt on all anyone sung was viva ronaldo it was like nobody else existed, um, but it was fun. Like that—that's part of it, isn't it? Like when you bring back a figure like that, this is what it's like. Like imagine next year Barcelona resigned Messi. Like what that would be like. It's—it's it's similar. It's probably the only way you could really compare it. Um, but I just thought it was a lot of fun, and obviously, like on a day when well, the, all the football was quite dull for for a long time in the Premier League. Um, Forty-five minutes in, all games nil-nil. Who gets the first goal of the day? Cristiano Ronaldo. Little tap-in after following in on the keeper's parry. And that's what he's going to do, isn't he, lads? Like we, This is what we expected. And then he scores his next one, smashes it straight through the keeper's legs. And this is where he's going to make the difference. So, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was very entertaining. Do you reckon he's hugely angry about the fact that his debut got overshadowed by Odson Edward, who uh, obviously <laughs> also scored two goals in about five minutes? I'll be uh, honest. I bet he's he on track for 614 goals this season. It's, it's, bet, it's a lot. I bet he doesn't even know that happened. I yeah, think he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't know world. who he is, does he? No, he doesn't know who he is, mate. He doesn't. Well, think. he'll know who he is when he when when French Eddie knocks him out of the golden boot standings <laughs> at the end of this at the end of this year. If you uh, if you listen to Darren Bent, so uh, so that's that to, to to think about. Um, I, I did enjoy the the story I've enjoyed the most. I think about this whole thing is the the lack of puddings story that's come out over the last couple of days. The fact that on Friday night at the team dinner, no one had pudding because Cristiano Ronaldo didn't have pudding. And you can just imagine some of them are sitting there going, this is rubbish, isn't it? Like Lee Grant must be like, well, I, I don't even play. Like, Why can't I have pudding? Like, it's, it's, it's incredibly rude that Lee, well, Lee Grant, Grant can't have a brownie. In an interview and like, kind of revealed that, I think. And then... Yeah, because this is off. because this is because he wants a, he wants a brownie. Well, he said himself, he's like, I still can't really believe it. Like, I'm standing there like, and I look like three yards ahead of me and Ronaldo is standing there in the same room as me. He's like, I can't even get my head around that. I'm like, sure, you're not the only one, mate. No, I'm sure there's a lot of players in that dressing room who haven't quite yeah. worked out what's going on. Yeah, it was, um, look, he came in and did what he needed to do, right? Which was score goals yeah, that, a that lot of fun. were a little bit tappy, innit? he? But sometimes you've got to deal with that. And uh, United needed it. United needed yeah. those kind of We heard things. he was the problem at Juve, didn't we, from a lot of people? They're doing well, well without him, aren't they? 
they're they're flying without him over at Juventus. <laughs> you can tell that. Um, Sam, what was your thing you loved this weekend? Yeah, so I've embarked on something I'm going to call Operation Catch Up. And this is basically me having watched a, a series of Premier League footballers for the last 15, 16 months, but exclusively on television because of uh, the global pandemic and being unable to go to games. And now having watched them for a full season and a bit, you sort of feel like you get to know them, you kind of know their ins and outs. And then finally, we're allowed to go back to the stadiums. And you just flesh out the edges of what you know about these players and you actually start to build a real picture of them. So Saturday, I was at Stamford Bridge to watch Chelsea versus Aston Villa. And it occurred to me as the teams are read out that I'd been watching Edouard Mendy, Thiago Silva, Ollie Watkins, Ezri Concer, Jacob Ramsey for quite a while for the, you know, on TV. But I hadn't actually seen any of these players. Actually, I was looking, at, looking down the lineups. So I just haven't been allowed to watch most of these players play live. And... I had just a wonderful time watching Chalobah, just like for the first time in the flesh, appreciating Edouard Mendy and how good he is, appreciating Thiago Silva's tactical acumen and defensive positioning, which is something, you know, with centre-backs, you get a much better feel for live. It really, it really did dawn on me on Saturday that, yeah, there's a lot of players in this league that I've watched, but I haven't watched. And it was really weird. And I really appreciated just watching those players that I hadn't seen yet and just just completing my picture of them and really fully understanding who they were as players. So what did you learn? Edouard Mendy's unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. goalkeeper. Thiago Silva, unbelievable central defender. Ollie Watkins is really good. <laughs> like These players are really, really good. I just hadn't really pieced it together fully because you can't when you only watch it on TV. It's that Pogba conundrum we always mention. You don't understand how good Pogba is until you watch him play in the flesh and then you come away and you think very, very differently about that player. And it's the case to a different extent with a lot of footballers. And it was just one of those where I, it was a bit of an assault on the census at Stamford Bridge where six or seven really created a completely different impression on me. And I, I just loved it. Yeah. I mean, you also got to witness Saul's debut, um, which okay, wasn't, wasn't quite on the same standard <laughs> or the same no. level as a lot of the players you just mentioned. Now, this isn't a criticism per se. Well, it is a criticism, but it's not a, a, an over-the-top criticism per se. I think we, we should probably make that clear. This is uh, someone who's been chucked in at the deep end very quickly here, um, who probably wasn't quite ready to start this game and who had to deal with the fact that he was playing alongside Mateo Kovacic. And while Mateo Kovacic had a wonderful game and he had a very, very, very impressive performance uh, across the course of the game and across the course of this Chelsea midfield he is also one of those players who kind of is everywhere and nowhere right he, he doesn't have a set position and Saul felt a bit like he was like where on earth is my midfield partner gone and this Kovacic was marauding around 30 yards up the pitch but it wasn't the start that I think Saul was hoping for yeah I've actually been wasting a long time to watch Saul Negueth play uh, in the flesh I believe when I actually did get to catch Atletico Madrid play at the Emirates I don't think he was on the pitch uh, maybe I just missed it but I'm not sure he was there it didn't stick out to me anyway so I've been waiting a long time for that experience it was a terrible one um, only lasted 45 minutes again we're not going to pile on him like it happens he needs to adjust to the speed of the league that was very clear he kept passing the ball to the opponent and getting caught on the ball with by, by John McGinn pressing it's he's just not used to the intensity and it it will get better for him but yeah that was that was the opposite that was the other side of the coin that was a player that I'd waited a long time for to see him in real life it turns out turns out it was probably the worst game of his life maybe he plays like that all along like maybe that's how he always plays it was just in Spain and we didn't really notice wouldn't know would I hadn't seen him live <laughs> that's all you've got to judge him on he's just a rubbish footballer <laughs> It comes back to that question that our old colleague Joe Gallagher used to ask us. Like, if you only judge football based on what you've seen live, like you've never, games on TV don't exist. 
everything you know about football is what you've extracted from life. Who's the best player? Who's the worst player? My answer to that question right now of who's the worst player in the world would be Saul. <laughs> I don't know. I once I once watched Mark Fotheringham play in the flesh for Fulham, so I think mm. he's probably still at the bottom of my pile as far as I'm concerned. And right, I'm going to finish us off um, as you I'm going to dive into the continent. Um, and I just think it's probably worth pointing out that Serie A continues to be absolute fire. Like everywhere along the line, Serie A is just unbelievable. From Venezia getting their first win at Empoli, uh, from Napoli beating Juventus, from Dusan Vlavic's brace to seeing Atalanta for Fiorentina. There was a brilliant game between Inter and Sampdoria that ended 2-0. Genoa came back from 2-0 down to beat Cagliari 3-2 in a, in a game that, that, that toed and froed. And how Zhao Pedro didn't equalise for Cagliari, I will never know. Torino battered Salernitana. Udinese won against Spezia. Milan put on an absolute masterclass against Lazio. Um, and Bologna edged Verona with a lovely goal. Um, but the game I haven't talked about and the game I want to talk about is Roma beating Sassuolo 2-1. And the chaotic five minutes that completely defined the end of this game. So Roma went 1-0 up. Um, obviously, Brian Cristante scored from a beautiful Pellegrini through ball, like a, an absolute star one from a, from a kind of free kick that looked like it was straight off the training ground, played in behind the defence, absolutely weighted to perfection. And Cristante just fired it home. Sass were probably the better side for, for the majority of this game. And they got a well kind of deserved equaliser, Juricic sort of, tapped it in off the floor over the goalkeeper um, after some some good work I ride. But then it all exploded with about two minutes to go. Tammy Abraham hit the post. There were things, you know, going off everywhere. There was a couple of moments and uh, obviously uh, Hamad Traore, who is Ahmad Traore's brother, came on. He hit the post. It was swinging from end to end. Shamuradov had one cleared off the line. And then suddenly, just as you thought it was going to end one all in Mourinho's a thousandth game, the ball goes up. Shemurodov chests it down and the Pharaoh himself, the Pharaoh himself, Stefan El Sharawi, side foots the most beautiful half volley into the corner off the post. It is glorious. Anyway, Mourinho goes on his 60-yard run up the touchline. El Sharawi is giving it large. The Roma players are going mental. The Roma fans are going mental. Everybody is absolutely loving it. Kicks off again. That's where I go down the other end. And they score. <laughs> Skamaka gets on. He just literally lets it drop and fires one home into the far corner. Everyone is going, oh, God, what's happening? Suddenly, the offside flags up. Everyone's, everyone's sort of a bit confused. There are heads and hands everywhere. The Roma bench are up. The Sass bench are up. Everyone's going mad. Eventually, the goal gets ruled out. Mourinho gets his win in his 1,000th game. Roma stay perfect to start the season. But this kind of five mad, chaotic minutes where everything and, and then some went down at the Olympico at the end of this game was just the absolute perfect way to end Sunday night. It was pure, pure vibes. I had a great time. You, you just like what you've just described sounds like the, the closing stages of, of a cup final. Without it's being game, funny. It's, it's game three. To, 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 it did feel like a cup final, but I mean, in, in some ways it, it felt like the last days of Rome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really was good. It, it, it was so enjoyable. And look, Serie A continues to just be, I think, the most watchable league in Europe uh, at the moment. I, I'm absolutely loving it. And I know there was some doubt over whether it would be able to live up to last season, given the fact that they lost Cristiano Ronaldo, that they lost Romelu Lukaku. I don't think there's any questions being asked at the moment. It is pure enjoyment, pure vibes. And if you aren't watching Serie A, I implore you, implore you to get involved. Yeah. And Bundesliga, because that's even better. 
The Bundesliga had did have some cracking games. I think the Bundesliga like, had, that. Bundesliga like, had the game league? of the weekend. Bundesliga yeah, had the game league? of the weekend. But it across like, the board, across the board, Serie A has been absolutely phenomenal this season. It has been good, yeah. The thing is, Mourinho being there and, and doing what he's, the way he started at Roma, that's just brought a new layer to it. The fact that Juve are, are doing so badly in a, like 16th, whatever. Roma are top of the league. Inter are doing fine. Um, you've Milan are doing fine. Like you don't really have any idea how it's going to pan out. Like, will Roma blow up? Probably. Will Juve rise again? Probably. But if those things don't happen, then it's well, who knows what could happen? It's going to be such a good season. If someone said to you after three games, the only three teams that would be perfect in Serie A were. Milan, Roma and Napoli, I think you would have been like, all right, mate, thanks very much. Yeah. Cool. Of course they are. Of course they are. But that's how it's panned out. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to get back involved next weekend. All right. Uh, that is pretty much it for Things We Love. After the break, Sam is going to be ranking the five best teenagers in world football. And I'm really, really looking forward to this one. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time to get into our big ranking. And Sam, the floor is yours. Yeah, I'd like to start off with an apology to Sal Negreth. I checked during the break, he actually did play that game I mentioned at Arsenal. So uh, according to everything I've seen on the pitch, he is not the worst player in the world. Sorry, Sal. Well, he was, in the first one, he was forgettable enough that you didn't talk about him. You didn't realise he was playing. <laughs> didn't know the was second playing. one, he was so bad that he got subbed at halftime. I think you might be actually strengthening your case, if anything. <laughs> no, worst it's just because... Ever. It's because I remember distinctly just watching Thomas Partey the entire game, uh, which actually foreshadowed his trip to the Emirates full-time, funnily enough, but there you go. Anyway, one of our patrons, Trevor, asked in our Monday postbox whether Jamal Musiala is the best teenager in the world right now. He said that he'd been impressed with his development, obviously grabbed a goal and an assist at the weekend in the same game for the first time. And Trevor said, I reckon he'll be a pivotal part of the Bayern starting eleven by the end of the season, which... Seems like a pretty reasonable shout. Musiala's a very good player. So we started discussing the question, is he the best? And then we sort of realised that this would actually make a very good Wednesday topic, wouldn't it? Very, very good ranking. Basically, we stopped we bumped discussing it. Up. it and I, uh, I set to work figuring out my top five teenagers in world football. So thanks for the idea, Trevor. That's appreciated. And I have put together my top five. Just bear in mind, obviously, that this is based on who they are as players right now in terms of current levels of ability. Uh, not based on kind of like biggest potential. And before we actually get into it, I just wanted to say, well, a big shout to Harvey Elliott, who's had an amazing start to the season, a new balance boy, of course, along with us and sustained a terrible injury at the weekend. So we're wishing him the best. And look, he he would have probably featured or factored into this, this, this conundrum and this top five. Uh, But it felt, it would have felt a bit weird to put him in to the top five after what happened on, uh, on Sunday. So I've left Harvey out, but, Absolutely phenomenal player and we wish him the absolute best in his recovery. Absolutely, 100%. Number five, Nuno Menge, 19-year-old left back. Huge part of Sporting's incredible success last season. First Portuguese title in like nearly 20 years and he's moved on fast. He joined PSG on deadline day. This was one that Jack got very, very excited about and I did too because this is a fullback that Mauricio Pochettino can work with. It's good speed, good engine, good explosivity, hell of a crosser. From flicking through his film, hell of a crosser, open play, all set pieces. And I checked his assist tally. It's a measly one from 29 yeah. league starts last season. He's been, he's been hugely season. let down by sporting yeah. strikers. I, I, can't, like, I, I can't get over how many different clips I saw of like him putting it on a plate 
for a random assortment of forwards and then just like spaffing it over the bar from three yards, hitting the post over and over again, header straight into the goalkeeper from five yards. It was a disgrace, frankly, from the Sporting's forwards. But And it really it really hasn't given Mens the, the kind of assist tally and clout that he basically deserves. So I implore everyone to look a little bit deeper than that statistic in, in question. But I'd say it's also Expected not... Expected assist is probably a good one for him, isn't it? Uh, yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, because it was the Portuguese league, I actually couldn't find the yeah, stats. I'm for sure him. he's, yeah, he's probably got it himself and he's just sending it to other clubs around Europe. Or he, sent it to PS- said- he sent it to PSG and they went, yes, yeah, thanks very much, we'll have you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, this is definitely an expected assists over assists case. Uh, I'd say it's not too bad a defender either to be honest with you he's certainly committed to that side of things um, and he wins a fair few fouls as well wins a few fouls and stands up and whips the set piece in good set piece taker so generally very very impressed with Nuno Menge and I think he's going to be really impactful for what we roughly agree is one of the top sort of five teams in Europe this season and he's even yeah. challenging Raf Guerrero for this mm-hmm. you know starting Portuguese role at left back and I don't, I don't just mean challenging seriously seriously challenging and asking that question Considering that Raf Guerrero was one of the best players in Europe last year, the fact that Nuno mentions in that conversation is is remarkable and is testament to his rise and his ability. And I, I do think that, you know, I said this obviously in terms of when we were ranking transfer windows, I think that there's a very strong case to suggest that PSG in Akraf Hakimi and Nuno Mensch have maybe what will be the best fullback pairing in the world for the next 10 years. Like that, that's how, that's how highly I rate, you know, like on a par, not obviously quite what to Akraf Hakimi is yet, but I think he will get there and arguably surpass it. And, and, and that's why I think this is a fair shout. I, I think we could be talking about the best left back in the world here for some time. Yeah, just been a, a tiny bit cautious on the ranking. Definitely a top five, uh, but pop, popped him in fifth because he's obviously making a step up um, here and I need to be absolutely certain about his ability levels probably in the Champions League he would have played there either way Sporting or, or, or PSG this season but I've popped him in at five maybe a little bit cautiously uh, and you, you you might disagree Jack having seen a bit more of him no than I, I think have, that's probably but, fair but, enough no, I had you, 10 you, people on this long list right so to, for him <laughs> yeah. to even be in this top five I think is, is testament to just how good he is and I think when we get to the end of this and we're talking about the players that missed out on this ranking we will be looking at going, okay, yeah, even to be in the top five is, is pretty remarkable right now. Yeah, 100%. Right, I'll move to number four, and this is where I have put Mason Greenwood, 19-year-old mm. forward for Man United. He's been around for a while now, hasn't he? Had his ups and downs. Uh, fortunately, right now, we are in an up phase, not a down phase, and when Greenwood is good and he's in that up phase, my God, he is good. He is so, so good. It's very difficult to think of a more natural finisher Left foot, right foot, any angle. Devastating. Oh, mate, just generates power from nowhere. It's it's crazy stuff. He scores every type of goal within 18 yards. And look, it's the sort of skill set, that sort of ruthless finishing and natural finishing that, that, that will lead to patches where he seriously overperforms his XG. I mean, he got renamed X Greenwood uh, in his sort of breakout initial campaign in the Premier League when he put together all of those goals. Um, and he was so far ahead of his XG at one point he was either definitely going to calm down or he was basically the next Lionel Messi. Uh, he did slow down, but I don't know if you noticed, but this season he's back up there again. He's over, overperforming it by miles. I, I don't quite know what to make of this, but he is a difference maker. He is cold-blooded. And yes, there's a, there's a fair bit of his game overall that can improve. I think he's getting there with continued playing time, but the finishing, the runs and the speed and the unerring confidence 
that alone for me is a, is a, is puts him in the top five teenagers on this planet. I'm seriously impressed the more I watch of him. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have any, any weak spots, does he, Dean? I mean, he plays wide, he plays through the middle. It doesn't matter. He scores goals and he just continues to strike and strike and strike again, it seems. Yeah, exactly that. And I think, um, you know, having Ronaldo at United is is obviously going to benefit him. And to be honest, might even end up saving them quite a bit of money. Um, because if United are adamant that that Greenwood transforms from a wide attacker to a, to that central forward, then who better to guide him on that on that journey than Cristiano Ronaldo, who's done it himself as perfectly as you possibly can? Um, there are some similarities in the, their style of play at, at the same age. I'd say actually Greenwood is probably better um, because he's got more composure than Ronaldo had when he first came into United, um, when he was really frustrating. But then Ronaldo had that that period around this point and for the next year or two when he just turned into a physical monster and just bulked up and that's when he really made that transformation from boy to man and you know Greenwood's frame isn't particularly small but like there's definitely room for growth there and I think that once we start to see that and see him changing his game up you do wonder what United will do like having Ronaldo on a two-year contract yes they I'm sure they'll still be in that conversation for Haaland next summer but there is that thing like well, don't do it. Don't do it. Like if if you rate Greenwood this highly, which very, very well, many people around Old Trafford seem to, then give him the chance to be that player because, you know, he might not be that far behind Haaland. Who knows? Yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a really good point. And I think that there's something to be said that the fact that Mason Greenwood is here learning from not only Cristiano Ronaldo now, but also Edison Cavani, who's also one of the finest forwards of his generation and whose movement in particular has been remarkable for the best part of 15 years. And if you're learning of two players like this who are different, different types of players and who have had different careers in, in, in that respect, but who are both incredibly good forwards and who are both people that you would love to, to emulate if you're Mason Greenwood. If you look at that and you go, okay, you're going to have a career. If you said to him right now, you're going to have a career as good as Edison Cavani. I imagine there's a lot of people that would bite your hand off for that, you know, and that's without putting Cristiano Ronaldo into the mix. So I, I think that when, when you, these are the players you're learning from. Um, and there's that competition and you're able to continue to to fight for your place alongside, you know, a host of very, very talented players. Obviously, Jaden Sancho is there now, but Marcus Rashford and Jesse Lingard's back in the frame. And there's a lot of, of, of wide talent here. And there's a lot of players who can play across all of these positions. The fact that Mason Greenwood is holding his own still to this point, I know Rashford's injured, but you look at, you know, how this has panned out and how you think it might pan out into the future. And I think that you, you now are seeing someone who's pretty special. And I think we're going to see more and more of that throughout the course of this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just the consistency thing, which is natural for a young player, probably in his position that we need to see. Um, but my God, the, the raw tools, you know, they're, they're no secret. We saw them a year and a half ago, didn't we? We saw them when we, we first went into lockdown and we're seeing them again now. And it's enough to remind you of just, just how high his potential is. It, it's incredible. But yeah, into number three. So the top three. Uh, I've gone with Eduardo Camavinga at three, Real mm. Madrid's newest recruit, eighteen-year-old. I'm going to call him a multi-talented midfielder. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to avoid the issue of pigeonholing him, and we could talk about what makes this such a debate very shortly. But uh, I've decided not to no longer bother to try and say what type of midfielder he is. But he did score his first goal for his new club on Sunday, six minutes in. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad. Comes start. On. Comes in and guides home a sort of rebound after Modric sort of cuts Celta Vigo open and forces a save. And 
Cavafinger looked happy. I, I, like, looked I, so I, happy, didn't he? He looked happy. Just like capital H, capital A, P, P, Y. He was just like elated with the fact that he was able to come on and, and score in his first six minutes for his new club. It, it must have been absolutely amazing. Obviously, return to the Bernabeu for Real Madrid. First game there in how long? And Camavinga comes in and makes that impression for his fans early on. It, it's awesome. Uh, I would say, though, Real Madrid fans don't get that used to him scoring. He averages one a season. So that's his one. Don't know, he think- scored in his debut for France as well, didn't he? He scored a bicycle <laughs> kick. <laughs> yeah, but he only gets one. That's it. That's just it. That's it's his it. goal done, finished. That's it. Unfortunately, he's used it up in a 5-2 win at home to Celta Vigo. So, that's you know, a shame for him. It's a shame because he could have saved it for something a bit more crucial. But, you know, you're not really asking Camavinga to score so many goals. But look, we marvel at a player like Greenwood for picking up so many minutes early on and being so decisive so early. Uh, Camavinga has 49 league starts to his name at 18 years of age and they're all in the top five league. Mm. It's incredible the the impact that he's been able to make this early on and we'll move into what kind of a player he is and this is where the, the difficulty is because he's basically like three types of midfielder rolled into one. I just want to hammer home again how weird that is for an 18-year-old to be three different types of player. It's incredibly rare. So he makes tons of tackles and interceptions. He's got great agility and tenacity, covers loads of ground. So lots of people are either marking in there as kind of like a defensive midfielder or maybe someone like a Kante who you can like, you know, let let loose and sort of destroy. But he also dribbles really well. He carols, carries the ball really well. He's a lovely passing range on him as well. It was one of the first things we saw when he broke into the Ren team a couple of years ago. Brilliant pass off his left foot. So, you know, fair enough if you've got him pegged as a kind of more like a more box-to-box, like a carrying midfielder rather than a sitting and a holder. But he also pushes forward, presses really high, anticipates when to apply pressure really well, and he can receive the ball up nice and high, technical player, turn and go. So like we're also seeing kind of like a little trend of like defensive number 10s in the game at the moment. That's sort of happening a little bit, and it's because there's so much pressing happening that people want to play players like that even further forward. They're not sixes anymore. They're not even eights anymore. They play a, they play a player like that in the number 10 role. Look at RB Leipzig and you know what they do with, with players like Haidara and Campbell and all those players. They're all like defensive 10s. And there's an argument that Kamavinga is all three of those players. And I guess what works for him is that he's going to be at Real Madrid a long time. If you're at Real Madrid a long time, you get a lot of managers. Now, a lot of managers ask for a lot of different things. Unfortunately, Kamavinga can do everything. So he's going to be fine. <laughs> he is not pigeonholed to one area. He is not specific in his skill set. He will be able to do whatever he needs to do for Real Madrid over the next decade or so. And they're very lucky to have him. Yeah, I think that's, that is the truth. The, he is a player who is so multifaceted and, and, and you get into that debate and I think you've, you've kind of nailed it there, Sam, in terms of, you know, we, we spoke about it at, at length when, when Manchester United were interested in him and they were saying, oh, we're going to bring him in as a six. I'm like, okay. It kind of pigeonholes him a bit if you put him as a six when he can kind of do it all. Um, but if you if you want him to do that, he can. Maybe you're holding him back a wee bit from what his you know full potential might be. But I think he'd be more than comfortable playing that role. Just like, oh, okay, I'm going to unleash him as a box box eight. Like, okay, fair enough. Go on then. Or you could play him, you know, across the middle. And and so that ability to to kind of float around to be able to play all of the things, I think, is actually really important for this year as well. Like, yes, we're talking about players for the future here, right? And we're we're talking about the players that we think are going to be competing for Ballon d'Ors in five to seven years, right? Let's just put that into the kind of equation of what we're discussing. But when you're talking about this year for Camavinga, the fact that he can play all of these roles 
means that he's going to get minutes within this rotation because, as we say, this is an aging Real Madrid midfield and that's not a discredit. They're still an unbelievably talented midfield trio across Casemiro and Modric. They are still playing at a very, very, very high level. But there are going to be games where they need to rotate. There are going to be games where, you know, Real Madrid are battling on three separate fronts and they're going to want to compete on all of those fronts. You're going to need to use your midfield depth and Obviously, Fede Valverde is there as well. And we've seen uh, the emergence of a couple more players coming through at the academy. But, you know, if you've brought in Camavinga here, you'd imagine, you know, maybe Valverde aside, he stumps up that pecking order, right? He jumps into this queue. And I think we're going to see a lot of him. And he gives Ancelotti options in all three of the midfield positions. And that in itself is, uh, I think, an incredibly good thing for his development. And we talked about the fact that he's played so many games already, right, at such a young age. Well, you want that to continue, right? You don't want a player to go into a big club and suddenly stall and fall back and not be able to get minutes. And, you know, saw something happen like that for, for Ryan Sessegnon at Tottenham, right? Who we thought was going to step up and, and continue to kick on after he left Fulham. Instead, he was sidelined, he was sent out on loan, and suddenly that development has hugely stalled from a player we're incredibly excited about. Now, you don't want something similar to happen to Camavinga considering how talented he is. And I think that his versatility means that that won't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, the yeah. one thing he's not actually is a controlling midfielder, like tempo control and, and able to put his foot on the ball and calm things down. A lot, a lot of Camavinga's play is quite chaotic and quite frenetic. I mean, that's, that's who he is. He covers a lot of ground. He gets into you, he gets at you. Um, he plays fast. Uh, if that's the one thing he's not, well, he's landed in a spot where he's going to be learning off Kroos and Modric, who may just be two of the best tempo controlling midfielders we've ever seen play the sport. So if there's one type of midfielder he's not, it's that. He's got two of the very best in history to learn off. Not a bad spot. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to have anyone. And we just <laughs> talked about Greenwood learning off Cavani and, uh, Cavani and Cristiano, right? Yeah. Now we're talking about Camavinga learning off Kroos and Modric. It's, uh, these, are, these are factories of talent uh, to push these three young players into another stratosphere. Um, yeah. But with that, Sam, I think we should probably go to number two. Yeah, so it's another scarily complete central midfielder at number two is where I've gone for Jude Bellingham of Borussia Dortmund. And this, this man, this boy, <laughs> this boy, this boy. I don't think you has, can call him a boy. He, he, he's too big to be referred to as a boy. I'm afraid. Yeah. This, this, uh, this, player, this player, this player is really, yeah. <laughs> he's really gone up in my estimations in the last three or four months. And I hate to say it because I don't really like it when I'm wrong. Um, but I was probably one of those that did not pay close enough attention to just how good Jude Bellingham is last season. And that was when the Bundesliga fans were pointing and shouting and screaming at him and saying, look how good this kid is. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look closely enough, but he is freakishly good now that I've taken another closer look at him. And he's only just turned 18 in June as well. I mean, the players we're talking about here up until now have all, are all 19. Yeah, Greenwood turns, I think 20 in a couple of weeks. Um, Bellingham is, is, is a full year behind. And yes, there are sort of shades of Camavinga in the way that he can do so many different things. And I think he's got bigger and, and taller and stronger over the course of the, la- of the last year, as you would, as you grow. And he's now a pretty fearsome, like physical prospect in midfield. He intercepts and he presses really well. The defensive side of his game is coming along. He passes long, he passes short. He can manage the tempo of a game, I think, much better than Camavinga. But the thing that's really got me in the last couple of months is He's got this like undispossessable quality, this e- the ease with which he plays. It's kind of reminding me of that old like Moussa Dembele for Tottenham vibe where like you're just not going to get the ball off him. And I, th- I genuinely think that he's going to grow into a player like that. 
who really does just fully control a midfield. And like as hard as you try, you will not be able to get the ball off him. And he will make the game look so unbelievably easy that it will drive you mad. It will drive you mad or inspire you, probably. You want to get out there and do the same thing, probably get caught on the ball 10 times, concede 10 goals, because only he could do it. It takes a really special player like a Moussa Dembele or a Jude Bellingham to be able to do... Or an Andre Frank Zambo Anguisa. Yeah, or, or or him. You know, those three really are the top three, aren't they, in the world? Um, I think so, probably. I've not, I've not been hot enough on Bellingham for the last year, uh, but I am now. So you're fixing on- that now. He's unreal, guys. He's unreal. I think it was that game he played against Man City um, last season, I guess, um, when really, for me, it was kind of like a standout, okay, the, it's serious that he's doing this right here, right now. Like, this isn't a guy that we're going to see break out in a couple of years. Like, he's doing it in front of our eyes. And every time a big, big challenge is put in front of him, he rises to the occasion. And, yeah, every time I watch him, he seems to just becoming more dominant in every game and becoming more comfortable in how he helps to control possession. And Man United are kicking themselves for not getting Jude Bellingham. They thought they'd had him. They thought he was going to join them from Birmingham. Um, Bellingham really likes what Dortmund was selling him though. And I think it it looks like he's made a brilliant decision uh, in terms of career trajectory and making sure you get those minutes under your belt and also play in a style of football that suits you at the appropriate time in your career. And that that's exactly what he's getting right now. Um, we'll see at the end of the season, whether he decides to remain a Dortmund player or whether Dortmund cash in. I mean, a hundred million pound is already being bandied around um, as the figure that Dortmund will be looking for, for him. That's mainly because Declan Rice is, has that price tag on him and that the clubs that are looking at Bellingham right now are still Man United, Chelsea are in that conversation. Liverpool might come into that conversation. Man City might yet come into that conversation. So those four clubs are obviously looking for a very similar player to come into the club in the next year or two. So it's only natural that they're going to be looking at similar players. Hopefully Bellingham takes his time and, and makes sure he gets it right because he's started perfectly really. Dean, you've been talking a lot over the last couple of weeks and, and we've seen a lot of chat about the fact that Bellingham is is so desired by these English clubs. And you're talking about the fact that Chelsea have, have really started to turn their attentions and their eyes in, in Bellingham's direction. And it's an interesting one. You'd imagine Dortmund are going to try and hold on to him, especially if next season, as we expect, or next summer, as we expect, they're going to lose Erling Haaland. You know, to lose two unbelievable youth prospects in the same summer would be a pretty big blow. Yeah, but they're a selling club, so they will sell. If you put the right mo- amount of money in front of them, then they always sell, but they just make sure that it's at their their price. And um, I don't know if anyone will would pay £100 million for Jude Bellingham. Um, I doubt it, to be honest. I doubt it. If he goes for 100 that would mean that... I know it's a release clause, so it's a bit of a dodgy comparison, but he would actually go for more than Haaland, which would feel so weird. <laughs> yeah, it would right? be weird. Yeah, I mean, the word out of Dortmund is like, we're not looking to sell him um, and they don't obviously won't want to lose him. Um, they always try to put out the right noises and say that we're not a selling club, that we have ambitions of our own, but the evidence is that they do always sell the player. It, but what quite often they do hang on to them for a year longer than you actually expect. So maybe Bellingham mm. will say one more year after this one. Dortmund aren't a selling club, they're a realistic club. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they just know their level. Yeah, and they, and they make sure they get their worth. Well, it's the not necessarily news... knowing your level, is it? It's knowing the fact that if you continue to provide that place for youngsters to develop, that they get game time, that they're happy to, you know, and then they, you will sell them if their evaluation is reached. More mm. players come through, right? The reason you'd imagine that you're seeing all this happen is because Dortmund have set themselves up in this vein. The fact that you can go there, you're going to get Champions League football, you're going to get top level German football, you're going to get into this kind of conversation and be able to showcase your talents on on the highest available stage you're going to get those minutes you're going to get that faith and that trust in youngsters and they only have to look now at Jaden Sancho's path to, to see how that's kind of happened you know to to suggest that okay cool I'm going to be the next person that goes to Dortmund because I can see why and see how this benefits me benefits the club and continues to to push Dortmund onto a higher level at the same time do you know what the really really great news for Jude Bellingham is what he's eligible for a truly extended career in sport because once he's done with football, he could probably go and play cricket. He's oh a good, yeah, what he's a catch. Good, what a catch. My guy. <laughs> Catches a pint out of thin air that a Bayern Leverkusen uh, fan throws at him. Then decides to drink it and then realises, well, I should probably spit this out. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite, that COVID friendly, actually, was it? It's not, no, but it was quite an amusing highlight of the uh, of, of the goal celebration at the weekend, wasn't it? It was indeed. Right, Sam, uh, that leaves you with one to pick. Um, and I'm, well, I'm pretty sure I know who you're going to go for here, but, uh, but you know, you, you should have the honour. Well, I need to apologise to Trevor because... Just like the four, you've before got a lot him. of apologies to do. But let's let's do number one first, and then we're no, going to no, get into I'm your sorry. apologies. Just just like the four before him, this is also not Musiala. Musiala's not in my top five. There's a whole, the whole reason we started the conversation. But as Jack said, this is an intense list. It's, you know, it's a long list of ten, and there's some really talented players here. But number one is Pedri. Uh, number one is Pedri. I can't get away from this, can I? Key man for club and country, age eighteen. There's no getting away from this one. Um, we could drop some just some relatively astonishing statistics in here for those that don't already know. 76 appearances for club and country last season. <laughs> Ridiculous. 52 for Barca. I think he played in more games individually than any other Barca player last season, did, yeah. whether it be starting or subbed. Um, played every minute of Spain's Euro 2020 campaign. Uh, got in the team of the tournament. Won the best young player. Won the best young player on our podcast as well, most importantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, played every game at the Olympics, got silver medal, then looked like he was basically ready to keel over and they've given him a little holiday, which is nice. Been on a little family trip with his brother and his parents and uh, I'll tell you what, he looks 10 years younger and we're about to watch him destroy European football all over again. Phenomenal player, technician, tactical, the brain on this kid is is, is quite incredible. We, look, we, we spent all summer raving about him. You You already know we love him. But just remember that 12 months ago, roughly, he arrived at Barca as a very skinny, unknown 17-year-old from Las Palmas. He was a boyhood Barca fan, but he had absolutely zero pedigree in this game. And you fast forward it. Pedigree. Nice. Uh, And you fast forward it 12 months and he is known by all. You know, Pedri's Euro 2020 was Mbappe's 2018 World Cup. It was a global breakout and... There is no question in my mind that Pedri is the best teenager playing football right now. He's just so good. And and I think, you know, we, we say this and we talk about the fact that there, there came a moment where he started to play a little bit this last season. We were all a bit like, oh, hang on. I thought this kid was one for the future, you know, just been brought in to kind of bulk up what's going on in, in La Masia and to, to kind of provide competition for the, you know, the likes of, Elias Mariba and, and Gavi coming through. We thought that was going to be his kind of role. Suddenly, he's starting every game and Messi keeps giving him the ball. And you're going, 
Oh, hang on. <laughs> Messi likes his kid. Messi likes his kid a lot. And and then so you're thinking, hang on, if, if Messi really likes him and he keeps giving him the ball, maybe there's something that we, we need to keep an eye on here. And as soon as you start watching Pedro, you realise just why. Because everything he does is special, right? Every, everything he seems to do. He's now arguably Barcelona's key mat, right? This is kind of mad to be talking about this. And I know that Memphis has come in and we talked about the fact that Memphis wants to put all the pressure on his shoulders and I respect it hugely. But I think there is a point to be made that but when Pedri comes back in, he is the fulcrum around which this, this side is going to kind of develop. And him and Frankie in the middle is, is you know, arguably one of the best partnerships in the world in terms of midfield that they're going to set up for the next, again, the next couple, you know, couple of years. And, and Pedri's there and he's, he's obviously watched so much of this Barcelona kind of fan base and, and, and so much of this Barcelona period of dominance. He's come in at a very different time in Barcelona's kind of ups and downs in their spectrum. He's now a boyhood Barcelona fan, as you say, trying to bring the club back to where he watched them when he was growing up. And that's quite a special idea, I think. And, and he has the capacity, the talent, the ability, you know, no matter how badly this club is run, they've got Pedri. They've got Pedri. And that is huge. Mm. They should put out a TIFO. <laughs> I was um, Barcelona put out something two days ago saying it's a year today since Pedri played his first game for Barcelona. It was in a pre-season friendly. Um, he played forty-five minutes of a three-nil win against some team I've never heard of. Um, one year, one calendar year, he's achieved so much. They've just listed basically all the stuff that he's done, and it's like. It's absurd, like the competitions that he's played in, like 37 La Liga games, six Copa del Rey games, two Spanish Super Cup games, seven Champions League games, 20 games for Spain across the like the seniors under 21s and the Olympics, like 20 games in a year. <laughs> that is outrageous. <laughs> Most people struggle to get to 100 in a whole career. It's so funny. It's madness. It's madness. He's just, well, he's different. Built different, as they say. Built different. Yeah. And Fair play. So what, where, do we, where does this leave Musiala? Well, well I actually a... think there's a more important apology that you should start with. And it's Pedri's club mate. Right. So he's yeah, top think... of a lot of these lists, right? A lot of these lists will tell you that Ansu Fati is the best teenager in the world. But we haven't seen him play football for ages. That's well, the that's problem. That's the true. problem. So Jack, when you, you mentioned the fact that Messi was happy to give Pedri the ball, we should probably underline actually that's quite rare. Messi doesn't really want, he's not, he's not selfish when I'm calling him that, but you need to be on his level and he needs to see you as on his level to want to be able to do these interchanges and give and go. So he, to have confidence, for him to have confidence in giving you the ball, you need to be really, really good. And it's a really easy way of picking out very good players. Ansu Fati, as well as Pedri, is one of those players. Messi was more than happy to give Fati the ball, more than happy. And I have not put him in the list. And it's another apology from me to Ansu. I just don't think the kid needs any more pressure. He's he's missed nine months. It might even get to 10. Uh, he's been given a very special shirt number at Barcelona, despite not playing for, for almost a year. And fit, fit and firing, Fatty is, is, is in this list, no question. But uh, we haven't seen him play for a while. So I left him out. And also, if you're wondering why Bukayo Saka wasn't mentioned, he turned 20 like, a week and a half ago or something. Uh, so he became ineligible. You got away with one there, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't time it like that or anything like that. It's, it's and he missed that penalty, things. didn't he? 
So oh, here you are. Here <laughs> I'm kidding. Get rid I'm of kidding. it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do there's that. There's a couple. There's a couple more, Sam, that probably yeah. should, worthy of discussion. Um, Jamal Musiala is a, the next one, obviously. I think the, the considering he was the the basis from which we jumped off here. He's a very special talent. Um, his his countryman Florian Verts, mm. uh, obviously 17 years old and flying through the Leverkusen Academy into mm. the first team and made his journey. Oh, he wasn't from the academy. The they nicked they nicked him from like. Uh, Gladbach or something like that from someone close by at 16. Nick, it caused a right stir, him. didn't it? They did nick him. Um, that is true. But he did play in the academy for a little bit. Uh, not, <laughs> a week, a week and a half. He didn't get <laughs> nicked. for our academy for a week. He didn't get nicked <laughs> and chucked into the first team straight away. I'll give you that for free. Um, no. he, he definitely didn't do that. Ryan Gravenberg, I think, is yeah. probably someone who could is worthy of discussion. Gio Reyna. Um, and then there's a couple of wild cards that I would chuck in that I think maybe will be in this conversation. I don't think they should be in here yet, but I think if we were talking about the point that if this was a list, instead of saying the five best teenagers in the world right now, if we were saying the five best teenagers in the world or the five best players in the world who are currently teenagers in five years' time, I think Ray and Cherky might have a, convers- a point to be made in this conversation. I think he's going to be absolutely unbelievable. Um, and our old friend Harry Brooks uh, has always he's not making the list, is he? About Gabriel Veron at Palmeiras, um, who yes, is tearing things up in in Brazil. Uh, and when he makes that move across, or if he makes that move across to Europe, I think he's going to be someone who people are very, very excited about very, very quickly. Yeah, I'm with you. My little cluster of honourable mentions, Red, Musiala, Wirtz and Gio Reyna. So all Bundesliga-based, but they were my next three. And then like Hrabenberg is one, fine. Uh, Adeyemi over at, uh, at Salzburg. Suleimana and Doku are a lot of fun. Madweka is 19. Yusuf Demir, of course, another Barcelona prospect there. But none of these players are quite... They're not at In the, the same bracket. They're, yeah, yeah. they're not there, but they, they deserve a little mention there. And as you say, as you start projecting five years forward, all the names we've just mentioned, they could start becoming a factor, yeah. Adil Awashishi. There you go. There's one for the, one for the one. purists among you. <laughs> the purists among you. Um, yeah, no, I think so. I think Ansu will be would be just disappointed to have missed out. You know, when he hears about this, he'll, he'll obviously be a bit <laughs> upset that he's missed out. I think Jair Reyna will be a bit upset that he's missed out. I think Musiala will be a bit upset he's missed out, and so will Verts. Uh, Gravenberg might just say that there's a couple of players in there who have currently played a bit more uh, in terms of the, the, the right top level for him at this point. But um, there is definitely some players to be excited about here. For what it's worth, Fatty would be second if he's exactly the same as I last saw him. He'd be second. He'd be behind okay. Pedri but he'd be second, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I hadn't seen him playing so long. Yeah. I think it's, it's a fair, it's a fair caveat, mate. It's a fair caveat. We know that you, you, you like to like to put these things out first. You didn't put the caveats out straight away, which you sometimes do, but uh, we'll I didn't want to be a buzzkill. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that is fair. You right. know me. <laughs> Resident buzzkill. I do know you. I know you very <laughs> well. All right. After the break, we are going to be doing men of the week. And of course the gibberish rankings stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC. And after Sam has the main ranking and, and, and really dominated that middle section, well done, Sam. It was a very, very good ranking. It's basically Dean Jones's time to shine. Um, with that, Dean, it's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jack Ashby. Jack Who? Ashby. You don't know him? Jashby? He's one, he's one of our patrons. Oh, he's one of our patrons. So there was a little twist here because I did um, on Discord. I did put a poll out um, to, to decide Melon of the Week, and they all came from the uh, Napoli 
uh, Juve game and I said, was it Manalas for giving away the first goal? Was it Chesney for his mistake uh, that led to Politano's goal? Or was it Moyd Keane who weirdly tried to score a header from a corner into his own net and forced Chesney to make a save and then Koulibaly scored? But the poll didn't go the way I wanted it to, so I didn't choose um, the winner from that poll. They they voted for Chesney, just for the record, but I think it should have been Keane. Anyway, late last night, I got a message from Jack Ashby. It reads like this. Dean, mate, I've got to confess myself as Melon of the Week. Got my first start in a big game for our college team. Come back to get a ball from the centre-back and absolutely stumble over my own feet. Their striker picks up the ball and bangs it in after just seven minutes. They hold on and win the game 1-0. To be fair, we missed two penalties, so maybe we're all melons. But I had to tell someone who would understand. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> sounds, like Jack, yeah, sounds like Jack's team had a bad day in the office here. Yeah, yeah so, so Jack... Dug me out of a hole there because I, di- I didn't want to give it to Chesney because um, I thought he's already, get, he's already had one this year. Error. Yeah, he's already had one, and I thought Moyes King's error was worse. Do you see what Moyes King did? Yeah, he turns it backwards. I mean, it's ridiculous. Dean, why put a poll out if you can ignore the answers? Because it was that, that wasn't the right answer. You told me <laughs> to put the poll out, so I did. I suggested I that the, I suggested our patrons would would really like that and like to have an impact and a say on Men of the Week. They've been asking about it. You offered one half of that and then completely ignored. The other Look, bit, if you're going to do a Matteo Politano, you've got to, uh, you've got to yeah, make sure that people Yeah, then this came in after the, the poll anyway, so it was redundant because yeah. Jack Ashby yeah. deserved his moment in the sun. Yeah, fine. Well, well, well done, Jack. Whatever. Congratulations, you are the melon of the week. Um, there will be a melon winging its way to you shortly. Cheers for um, everyone who voted on Discord, but you got the wrong answer. Yeah, thanks for thanks for participating in Dean's quiz, but unfortunately, you were wrong. Um, <laughs> That's the gibberish alarm, um, which is getting more high pitched every week. I think it's because mm. I'm not very well. Um, I think it's making making this sound a lot worse. And you're, than it actually is. you're grafting here, Jack. Jack doesn't feel very well today, everybody, and he's got a cold, quite a bad one. He says he sounds fine, doesn't look too yeah, bad. I'm I'm I'm, it, I'm 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 all strapped up on Lemsip and and cough medicine, but we're it's been it's been a tough morning. You seemed way. fine yesterday as well. Yeah, I was fine yesterday. I got home from recording yesterday and suddenly couldn't breathe. I had to lie on the sofa for the majority of the evening. And you know, we did a we did a recording. It took me yeah. a long time to edit it because I was just really really out of out of sorts and woke up this morning and having about three hours sleep because I can't breathe. So, um, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm battling through, but uh, alas, alas, Dean, it is time for the gibberish rankings, which you have taken on again in Sam's, well, lack of work rate. Yeah. Another text from Sam this morning saying, can you do it? Oh, here we go. Here we go. So I was like, right, what what's on my mind? And, what was on my mind is there's a few little things that have been niggling away at me in the last couple of days. So here we go. Annoying first world problems that I've got. Um, the first one is having your phone on silent when for once you actually want to answer a phone call. So we're like, none of us actually have our phones on, on ring and, um, builders and people like that seem to have their phones on ring, but, but nobody else does. Um, so we have them silent. And then there's those times when you actually want to call. And in this situation, it was somebody who I was writing a column for Eurosport and I, I knew somebody was going to call me at some point, promising me for the last few days, I'll call you, I'll call you, I'll call you. Okay, so you know, you're looking at your phone every few minutes. No, 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 hasn't called, hasn't called. 
And then there's always that three or four minutes when you don't look at it. <laughs> yep. And I, knew, to I said to my, I thought to myself, right, I just I stick it on ring. I was like, no, it's so annoying when the phone rings. I'll see it. Missed it. Of course I missed it. We always miss it. The call that you want, you always miss. Yeah, I get this. I get this. I, yeah, I'll be looking at the phone for 20 minutes on and off and I'll just, I'll just not, I'll just like nip for a wee or something or like go and put something in yeah. a toaster and come back and somehow it's been eight minutes and I missed the call that I needed. And it They've rung twice. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely they did ridiculous. it this morning, actually. We had to phone the doctor and they, what they do now is they ring you back. So you get a slot when a doctor might call you back and you might get an appointment. That's how <laughs> the world works these days. And Taylor got two calls within three minutes, the only three minutes she wasn't with her phone. And then that's it. They don't ring back again after that. If you missed the call, then you missed the call. Oh, what kind bad. of world do we live in? Tough times. It's bad. It is Number tough. Number two. It's tough. What's two? Shaving. That's annoying. Oh, yeah. I don't even need to shave that often. Um, Quite a baby-faced boy. Like, yeah, I'm baby-faced. Like, twice a week max I have to shave. I can't imagine what it's like for people who have to shave like every day. It must be it must be the bane of your life. And the really, I don't even need to really shave as often as it's only really because we're on on camera now for live score. I feel the need to shave a bit more. But there's that point when you suddenly realise. So if I haven't shaved, like say we're going into live score on a on a Monday, and the last time we were in was a Thursday. Chances are I haven't shaved in that time period in between. And it gets to like Sunday night or mon- you're about to go to bed or Monday morning. And you're like, especially now I've got kids like, when am I going to fit this in? When am I going to do this? Ah, oh, right rigmarole, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's it's I, w- I would imagine that people that shave often just get, are good at, like, good at it and it gets quicker. That's the thing. I'm also not good at it. I'm not good at it. So... Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just find it's a really annoying thing and need to find some sort of treatment I can have where they just laser it all off and it never comes back. Right. The most annoying thing in the world for me right now, putting the bins out. <laughs> putting the bins out. Yeah, so it's, pouring with, it's pouring with rain at the moment. I That's exactly it. That is right exactly now. it, Jack, because I forgot to do it last night when it wasn't raining get up this morning, some reason the people come and, come and collect the trash at 7.30 to 8 in the morning. Sometimes in that period, they'll come. That's too early, right? Most people would miss that. Not me. Obviously, I'm up from about 6 o'clock. But still, it's pouring with rain this morning. And then at like 20 past 7, I realise like haven't put it out. So I've got to go out there. Obviously, you know, I'm wearing shorts. I've got flip-flops on. Just throw on a hoodie. Go out there, get soaked, stand in a puddle. Really <laughs> annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, putting the bins out is just the most annoying first world problem that, that I'm coming across at the moment, especially when you forget it the night before. You're supposed to be the adult of this podcast as well. Like, you think that you this are is the, the thing. The man Everyone really forgets has- it. Everyone forgets it. I need what I need to really do is I could really station my bins at the front of the drive forever. They could just stay at the front of the drive and we could like drive the car around them every day and they just stay there. Your neighbors, neighbors would hate you. Your neighbors would hate you. 
Well, you say that a few people down the road do do it because they are this lazy. And that's why I've started to think maybe this is why they do it. In fact, my next door neighbor does this. She just leaves all three bins right out the front constantly and walks out and puts it in. Whereas mine are like down the side of the house and then we wheel them out. So it looks nice and tidy every day. And we can park two cars in the driveway. Maybe I'll like park one car in the street and the other spot is just for the bins. <laughs> well, there you have it, people. Ladies and gentlemen, you now know exactly Picks how. to follow. Exactly. Dean's, <laughs> Dean's trips for life. Dean's tips for life. We, uh, yeah. we have all sorts just of things little things, things that have been here. annoying me. That's there it. There well, they are. I'm, like, I'm sorry to hear they've been really, really hanging on your mind, Dean. Like, you know, they, they feel like they've, they've, they've yeah, really upset you. There's some bigger issues in this household than that, but we're going to them on another podcast. That's a different, that's a different episode <laughs> for another day. And I think on that bombshell, boys, we're going to call this podcast a day. And all that's left really for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Tsai. Thanks, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. If you do fancy voting for us in the FCA Awards, the link is in the description. We'd be hugely appreciative if you went on there. We're in the international creator category. You can just scroll down, give us a vote. It takes about two minutes. I really, We really would appreciate it. I think it would be, uh, it's a, it would be a lovely thing for us to win, um, especially given the Ranks is pretty much a year old now. Um, we are mm-hmm. getting to the point where Ranks is nearly at its 100th episode on Patreon. Uh, we're, we're nearly a year old. It's a, It's been coming round real quick. So um, it would be a nice little present for us um, to, to win something two days after our first birthday uh, at the FCA Awards. So if you do fancy giving us a vote, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ranks FC. We'll be back next week, of course, or we're here on every Friday and Monday on our Patreon if you fancy coming to join the Ultras. We'll see you soon, Rank Squad. Take it easy. Peace.